Hello and welcome back to your weekly witch fix. Now today we're looking at a slightly unusual book. Uh, unusual because I didn't actually buy it for myself and because it's actually been in the house since I was born but I've never read it. It's called The Witch's Daughter and it's by Nina Borden and it used to belong to my mum and was in amongst a collection of Little House on the Prairie books and The Wombles paperback. It was published in 1966 and on the back of this copy it says that it was 25p at that point. It's a children's book and it runs to about 150 pages just over so it's not very long. And it is obviously very old fashioned because of when it was published. Now, when I was looking for books and things to review for this podcast, I gathered together all the books that I already had about witchcraft and witches and put them on a shelf with some of my newer acquisitions. And I was going over my bookcase to try and find, I think I was looking for my copy of The Lollipop Shoes. And I saw this and... I honestly could not remember ever having even tried to read it, which was quite unusual because given the title and the very nice little picture of a sort of windswept little girl on the front, I thought that I would have tried to read this at least once while I was growing up, but I never did. So I read it yesterday afternoon. So what is The Witch's Daughter about? Well, the main character is Perdita, the titular witch's daughter. And she's being raised by a lady called Annie McLaren on a small Scottish island which doesn't have a police station or a hospital or basically anything. And it's very poor and lots of people have moved away. And her and Annie live in this falling down old house which is owned by a man called Mr Smith who renovated two rooms for himself, hired Annie McLaren as a housekeeper and then did nothing to the rest of the house. Annie knew Perdita's mother which is how she comes to refer to Perdita as a witch child, because Perdita's mother, it's revealed throughout the book, was foreign, either Spanish or Italian, didn't mix well with the Scottish islanders. And after her husband died at sea, she went into a loch and drowned herself. So that's quite a heavy beginning for a children's book, even in the 1960s. Perdita is lonely and she's ostracised by all the other children on the island who are simultaneously afraid of her, but also kind of bully her from a distance as well by sort of throwing stones and saying things about her, uh, which reminded me a lot of what happens to the children in the Practical Magic film when they get chased by children from the town who are also quite scared but also very kind of angry at them for reasons they don't quite understand. Padita doesn't have any friends until two other children come to the island on holiday. They are Tim, who is 12 years old, and his younger sister Janie, who is the same age as Padita at being nearly 11, and she's blind. Padita is attributed the powers of second sight, and she says she can see with her eyes closed what people are doing, and that she can see through walls if she tries hard enough. She also feels um, when other people are hurt or if they're in danger and she can make people do things. So sometimes she says that she reaches out with her mind and gets Annie to come upstairs and tuck her in. And she also says that she can fly. Uh, what's interesting about this is that later on in the book, when she's met Tim and he's sort of given her the uh, older boy mansplaining of it all, she starts to doubt her own powers as things that she's made up because she's so lonely and ostracised. And I thought that was quite interesting because it's sort of left up to your imagination whether she does have these powers or whether she never did or if she had them until she stopped believing in them and then they stopped working. 
So that's quite interesting. Unfortunately, the sort of thunder of the witch's daughter's character is entirely stolen by Janie, who is an amazing character, even though she's, as I said, blind. And I think blind from birth, judging by the way the book is written. She is fiercely independent. She doesn't let people lead her around. She is the first person to spot several elements of the mystery that is central to the plot and she in the end does save both Padita and Tin from a very dangerous situation. She's absolutely fantastic and I've never read a book with a blind character who is so dynamic and active and it was just really interesting to read something like that that was written in the 1960s. Uh, the actual plot of the book as I said it revolves around a mystery and it's a mystery to do with stolen jewels which is very bunty serialised comics but um, it is actually carried off quite well. I was flipping pages very quickly trying to get to the, the end of it and find out what would happen. It did manage to surprise me and it was quite interesting to read. I think mostly I was romanced by the combination of the witch's daughter mythos, but also the descriptions of the very rough sea and the very coarse and unrefined Scottish island, which is, I imagine, as being very beautiful and very rugged. And it really gets brought to life in the book itself. And I found that the two things combined to give me a great sense of witch fulfilment. I looked it up because, as I said, my copy was published in 1966 and doesn't have a price on the back that really relates to today's money. It also has some black mould on it, which is not very nice at all. I looked it up and you can buy this book on Kindle for around £5, which seems quite expensive for um, a book that's 150 pages-ish long. But it's also in paperback form, roughly £2 to £3 on eBay, which is much more affordable. Uh, you also need to be careful with this one because there is another book called The Witch's Daughter, which I will actually be looking at later when my copy arrives from Amazon. But uh, this one is the one by Nina Bowden, and if you type that in, all the right ones should come up. I'm going to read you now some extracts from the book. One is from the beginning and one is from mostly towards the end. And I just thought they were really nice and that they illustrated the writing style and the way that it kind of feels kind of cosy, famous five-esque, but also very interesting and very kind of evocative of that rugged coastline. Will I lay the table in his room, Annie? No, off to bed. The candle flame danced in the draught as Perdita left the kitchen and went into the high dark hall. The ceiling disappeared in shadows. Her own shadow walked beside her, up the stairs. The house was big. It had once been a manse where the minister had lived, but that was a long time ago. When Mr Smith came to Squire, it had stood empty for years. There was no land with it, and even if there had been, no one would have wanted such a great old place with the plaster falling from the walls and the roof sagging in places. No one except Mr Smith. He had put in a bathroom and repaired two rooms for himself. Otherwise, though he had been there three years, he had done nothing. There were attic rooms where the rain came through, and some rooms that were shut up altogether, empty except for mice and dust, and the wind that came through the floorboards and the rattling window frames, so that the house seemed, in spite of its emptiness, to be always alive and breathing. 
It must have seemed to most people a strange, lonely sort of place, unsuitable for a little girl to grow up in. Certainly Mr Smith had thought so. It's no place for a child, he had said, when he had engaged Annie McLaren as his housekeeper, just after he came to the island. He must leave her with someone, a relation. Surely she must have some relation. She has no one but me, Annie McLaren had said. I'll see she's not in your way. Mr Smith had frowned. I've had business worries. I must have peace and quiet. Child is out of the question. I'll keep her quiet, Annie McLaren had said flatly. Her old face, stony and stubborn, showed none of the despair she was feeling. Until a few months back, she and her brother had farmed a small croft. The brother had died, and she had to sell the croft for a pathetically small sum, which was now almost gone. She was desperate for this chance to keep body and soul together. I must have absolute privacy, absolute. Whatever goes on in this house, whoever comes, not a word must get out. He looked carefully at Annie McLaren. Did you find that strange? A man has a right to mind his own business, Annie McLaren had said. Not an easy thing to do with a child in the house. She's only little. She'll grow, chatter to other children, carry tales. Not this one. Annie McLaren had been nervous of the effect her insistence might have, because if she lost this job, what would she do? Where would she go? But she had insisted just the same. The others won't play with her. She had hesitated, wondering how much the city-bred man from England would, would understand. They say she's bewitched, she had said finally. A witch's daughter. Bewitched? Mr Smith's eyes were hidden behind his dark glasses, but his lips smiled. Bewitched, he repeated, and suddenly burst out laughing. What on earth do you mean? But because he had laughed, Annie McLaren was deeply offended and refused to tell him, even when he said, on a wave of good humour, that it was all right she could bring the child if she wanted, not even much later, when they were all settled at Lewinpool and he would play with Perdita when he was in a good mood, calling her his little changeling, his little witch. Now, three years later, he still thought it an excellent joke. This next extract is spoken by Janie, who has been talking to Perdita about Perdita's second sight. And she thinks that because she is blind and she has different ways of perceiving the world, that she also has a kind of second sight, which is, I think, entirely accurate. And it's very well explained in this paragraph that I'm about to read to you. And I found it quite interesting how the two things were sort of linked together as a metaphor. It was magic, Annie. I couldn't see. It was pitch. But she could. She has the second sight. Not as good as you, Janie said. I told my dad about you, and I told him Tim said it wasn't true about second sight, but I asked dad if it was, and he said, well, perhaps it was in a way. He said he didn't believe in witches himself, but he was sure some people were special all the same. Blind ones like me, and girls who've been alone a lot like you. He said we've learned to see and hear things other people don't have time to, because they're always too busy just looking and playing. Dad says people like you and me, well... It's as if we've grown an extra piece of ourselves that other people don't have. She swallowed her last piece of toast and added kindly, I expect, if you'd really tried, Pedita, you could have found your way out of the cave by yourself. I've read that bit, even though it's from right at the very end of the book, because I think it's very interesting, and I think it kind of sums up quite a lot about what the practice of magic actually means, which is that magic is basically opening up your mind to things that other people don't normally see. And whether that's by performing a spell so that you see opportunities to make money or to get the job that you want, or for romance or any of the other things we work magic for, it is sort of about attuning your brain to find those opportunities. And even if you don't believe that in working magic, you are working the threads of the universe 
to bring you further towards the thing that you want. And it's most basic level. It is about programming your brain. And that is what quite a lot of ritual does. And it targets that kind of thinking so that you are awake and aware and attuned to what it is you actually want. And I think it's really interesting. And that's why I've included this book, even though strictly speaking, I suppose, isn't as witchy as some of the other titles I've looked at. I do think that it does offer some lessons up about the practice of magic and what it means to believe in magic. And I think that's sometimes just as important as having real magic in a book. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember, you can get in touch via Twitter, which is at witchfix, and by email, which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you all in the next episode. Bye.